from the Los Angeles Times, this is Can't Stop Watching, your TV faves on their TV faves. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. On today's episode, we can't stop watching Jane Levy. She plays the smart computer coder Zoe Clark on NBC's musical dramedy, Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. You know, it could be really awkward and cringy to have a strange man sing True Colors to me, or (laughs) it could be (laughs) really touching. She gives me some insight into the show's love triangle and her hopes for a second season to continue exploring her character's journey through grief. Jane also opens up about why she feels more connected than ever with her audience. So here's my conversation with Jane. Jane, thanks so much for being here. Being here, being there. (laughs) Yeah, well, thanks for having me. How are you doing right now? How's everything going for you? I'm doing great. I mean, I'm safe. I feel healthy. My immediate family and friends as of right now are healthy and, you know, I'm grateful for having a cozy place to shelter. But, you know, I'm also having nightmares every night and I'm very eager to see my friends and I miss everyone in my life. But, you know, thank God for the internet to be able to virtually hang out and communicate. What if we didn't have that right now? That would be pretty stinky. How are you? I'm good. I was going to ask you, like, do you find that your conversations are a lot deeper now when you're talking to your friends over the phone? Yeah, I mean, I never really talked to my friends on the phone to begin with. This might sound a little esoteric, but I find that my relationship with myself is deeper. Really, Mm -hmm. I'm like, I've been meditating every day because I am a generally very anxious person. And now I'm like, I have no excuse. I'm at home all day long. I don't have a job. So I've been meditating and I, I do find that like, you know, there's a lot of time to reflect, at least for me, you know, yeah. I, I, I don't, I don't have a job right now. So I have a lot of time. Are you somebody that likes looking at yourself? It's really hard for me when I have the time, like I don't like to confront certain things. And in this sort of time, there's like no choice but to look at some things that you need to work on or, you know, address. Yeah, I, for better or for worse, I'm like an addict for that kind of behavior. I think it's very much related to acting and why I like that art form is that, I mean, it's very much, you know, it's all about investigating why people do what they do and what is the deepest driving force, even if it's subconscious. And I feel like in order to do a good job as an actor, you have to be willing to look at yourself. I actually read this essay last night on the creative process by James Baldwin, basically all about that and um, the artist's plight. I mean, I mean, you obviously will lie to yourself, but you have to, I think, be a little bit curious about lying to yourself. <laughs> True. Do you find that there's a lot more singing and dancing in your quarantine because of the project you're just coming off of? I have been learning how to tap dance via FaceTime with our associate choreographer, Jillian, which has been really fun. I don't sing that often, but I love to dance. And I also take virtual Zumba classes. But, you know, it's been a really interesting experience having our show on the air during this time because I feel like I'm on my computer constantly. So I'm really, uh, I feel very connected to the audience. Beyond singing and dancing, we also deal with really heavy themes like death and loss. 
and grief. And, you know, it's right now is a very scary time full of those experiences and feelings. And so many people have reached out about their personal experience with loss and death. And it's been really meaningful and heavy and sad, but also really loving. I was going to mention that. I see some of those comments because like you said, this is coming at a time when so many people are experiencing loss and that inability to mourn with families at times because everyone's scattered or various situations happening. And in this way, like this show, it lets you cry and it lets you laugh, lets you have sweet moments. So it is a good show to have out right now. I'm so moved by that, that the project we made could be a source of catharsis and or distraction and joy. I couldn't really ask for anything more. However, you know, it's awful. Um, I don't think I could say anything that could measure up to what people are experiencing. Like you say, some people who are losing people and not being together, that's just really horrible. Well, let's talk about Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist. I mean, for those listeners who might not know, you play Zoe, a San Francisco computer programmer who is suddenly able to see people expressing their like innermost thoughts through musical numbers. And it starts with strangers, but she soon learns she can hear what her friends are thinking, what her family's thinking, particularly her father, who is, you know, nearly comatose and suffering from this rare neurological disease. Tell me, like, what went through your mind when you saw the logline for this show? I remember thinking that it was a nice concept and an opportunity for me to possibly learn how to sing and dance. And that was intriguing. But during pilot season, I've lived through now eight of them, maybe, uh, you read a lot of scripts. And some of them speak to you and some of them don't. But in this case, I had no idea what our show was going to be. And the experience I've had, I just never expected. And, you know, it's such a collaborative piece. There's actors and writers, as most most projects have, but then we also borrow works of art from artists across time, these like songs. And then we have a choreographer who I think is extremely involved in the storytelling and dancers. And so all it's like our show is a obviously a amalgamation of all of those people. So just reading the script, which was a good script, uh, didn't really tell me enough. You know, you sort of just have to say, I think I could do something with this character. I like the story. There's some fun things I, I think I'll be able to explore. And then like, let's see, you know, there's been, there's been projects that I've worked on where the script is amazing and everybody involved is so great. And then the movie sucks. <laughs> and then there's been projects that I've been a part of where you read the script and you're like, okay, this is good. You know, it could be really awkward and cringy to have a strange man sing true colors to me, or <laughs> it could be <laughs> really touching and moving and ultimately a really formative experience for me as an actor and as a being in a position of leading a show and 
Yeah. So when I read the script, I thought it was just good. (laughs) You didn't even have to audition for this role, right? So how long did it take for you to ultimately decide, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to jump in on this? You know, what's funny about this business, and I think that there's exceptions to this, but you don't really get a lot of time to decide. When you are offered a script, I feel like I usually get 24 hours, at most 48. And they're like, we need to know because if you don't want to do it, we need to ask somebody else. So I think I decided within a day. I had just made a soap opera, basically, for Netflix called What If?, and, and, you know, every terrible thing that could ever happen to a person ever happened to my character in that. And this was an opportunity to laugh and sing and dance instead of just thinking about, you know, being the product of rape and your husband going to prison and <laughs> your brother burning down your house and killing your family. So I was like, great, let's try this instead. Sign me up. Are you somebody that is a fan of musicals? Like, what was the last musical you saw? No, I wouldn't say that I'm not a fan of a musical, but the last live performance of a musical production I saw was when I was seven. I saw Carousel on Broadway with my family. And then over the summer after the pilot, I saw Skylar in Into the Woods at the Hollywood Bowl. But I am a rookie, when it comes to musicals, yet I'm the lead of this show, which was a funny position to be in. But it's very fitting because Zoe, the character, is not yeah. very musical or creatively inclined. Well, on this show, we have our guests ask each other questions, and we normally share them at the end of our conversation. But considering this question, it felt like it works right about now. Our previous guest was Julia Garner, who is in Ozark, and she had this question for you. Was she scared to do all those dancing and singing? Like, how was the memorization and the preparation, because she was not only memorizing her lines and going over her acting, but also having to like memorize steps and lyrics. And how was that? It was so terrifying. I did have a nervous breakdown. I stopped sleeping. I was so terrified that I couldn't pull it off because one, it was new for me, but also I was working on average, 14 hours every day. And I had to prep, especially for episode eight, where I sang and dance every number, I had to prep while I was shooting, which just felt like so impossible. And now that I look back, I'm like, Jane, you really didn't have that much to be afraid of. You have this incredible team of support. You know, everyone will hold you up. However, it it does require a whole new set of skills. One, the expression of song and dance is new for me. So then, but then two, I'm acting while doing it. So like, how do I live the number where I, you know, finally confront my father, which was the scariest thing I could imagine and the thing I had been avoiding all day and the reason why my powers glitched in the first place, I was crying and I was also having to sing. And so expressing through song while also feeling so highly emotional that you can't breathe was a brand new experience for me. And ultimately it was so gratifying. I'm really proud of myself. And I think because it was so scary and because I did it and because I'm 
I'm proud of the result. I, I do feel changed forever because of that experience. And even though it was terrifying, it was also so much fun because deep down inside, there is somebody who has always wanted to sing and dance. And, you know, when I was a little kid, if I, if my four year old self knew that I had this opportunity, she would be exploding. And so being able to honor that person who I feel like I've hidden inside for a long time just felt like a celebration of my desire to express and even to perform. So the preparation was we took three days off of shooting so that I could, especially for 108, learn six numbers. Did you come to master the art of the good bath soak after a day like that? Like, are you just like aching? I am somebody, I think part of the reason also I had a nervous breakdown is like, I am someone who doesn't know how to chill or how to do a take that's like, you know, maybe like relax on this one and fuck it and see what happens. I can't do that. I'm like 110% every moment and so when I go home, I'm buzzing. And I think that's part of the reason I um, couldn't sleep. And also another reason why I have to learn how to meditate. I also didn't have a bathtub in my rental in Vancouver. It was awful. <laughs> but on the weekends, I got really into a float tank. Do you know what that is? No, tell me more. It's sensory deprivation. You go into a chamber in lukewarm water and all the lights are off and there's no sound and you float and... It's um, just supposed to give your senses a break. That sounds relaxing. <laughs> yeah, it's either relaxing or terrifying. <laughs> One or the other. But are you, I mean, what was the journey in terms of comfort level for you? Because obviously Zoe isn't comfortable doing it. So you, you can sort of lean on that. But for you as a person, I mean... Are you some, like when I go karaoke with friends, I have to do it in one of those rooms. I can't do public karaoke, but you as an actor, like, did that help you? How did you sort of ease into it? Well, I think that ultimately I don't actually care what I sound like. I mean, I do to a certain level, but ultimately what I really care about is honoring the experience truthfully. And I think that's part of the reason why I was so scared because it it involved so much preparation. I was just afraid that I was going to miss something. Like that I, in my actor homework, I wasn't going to be able to do like what I'm used to, which is like really investigate, you know, what each gesture might mean in the dance summer. It's like, there's no time for that, Jane. There's so much to do. You can't. So I think that was part of my fear. But then ultimately I realized that I just care about telling the story of Zoe and her anxiety and her grief and her humor through the song, which was new for me. But once I just sort of like let go of that, also, by the way, we pre-record these songs. Some of them, like almost every number, there's like a part that I sang live. I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus, I sang completely live. How Do I Live? I did two takes live and, and two takes lip syncing. And then I think they blended the two they picked some moments from other. I sang the part of crazy when it's suddenly reality again and Max is looking at me. I sang that live. Uh, I'm yours. I fully lip sync. And same with I want you to want me. Same with I've got the music in me. So, yeah, I just I, I, I just eventually I let go and was like, this isn't a project in which my main concern, Jane, is 
to perform a song perfectly. You know, like that's not even my taste in general as a viewer. It's like, I don't want to see perfection. I want to see authenticity. So that's also interesting. I think about the finale number wherein I'm the final singer in American Pie and everybody else was pre-recorded and it's extremely choreographed and an incredible feat of filmmaking and teamwork. Because it was done all in one take, right? One take. But I sing acapella at the end and live and I thought that that was really important to like really feel inside of Zoe in that moment. Well, we've all experienced grief in some form in our life, but Had you ever experienced something of this magnitude, like someone this close to you being gone? I have lost three grandparents, but I think that we grieve all sorts of things. We grieve relationships we never got to have that we wanted. We grieve the actual like loss of people when they die. I think people are grieving right now, you know, with our lives change so drastically and we don't even know how long they're going to be changed for, if they're going to be changed indefinitely. So yeah, I think that, yeah, I do think that I've experienced grief of this magnitude. Well, I mean, I didn't expect to be as emotional as I was watching this show. I lost my dad three years ago and I would just start sobbing like sobbing during these moments with Zoe and her dad, who's played by Peter Gallagher. That love and pain that you feel for a person, like that you're grieving, it like never goes away. So I wonder like, how do you think it will be to play this character as she now has to start sort of processing the loss? Well, thanks for sharing that. And I'm really sorry for your loss. Um, You know, I think that moving forward, it's about how we move forward after loss. And I was thinking about this the other day because I was like, I wonder if in season two, I'm going to have to cry so much. And then I was like, of course I will. (laughs) A lot, a lot. (laughs) The grieving process is in some ways, I imagine, never over. And it changes forms. And it was interesting working on this project because there was a lot of lost fathers on our set. Austin's father, John Stewart's father, Alex Newell's father, many of our producers and directors, we would talk about them. And I, the hardest that I cried actually watching the show back was when it said in memory of Richard mm-hmm. Winsberg at the end of our finale, because I thought, what a beautiful gesture. I, it makes me emotional now, like mm-hmm. to honor someone that Austin loved so much to make this series that in turn touches our audience, touches me, the actor in the project. And so, yeah, I I think to go back to your original question in season two or seasons moving forward, it's how we live after such monumental loss. Talk a little bit more about the reaction that you do get from people because the finale brought a lot of intense sort of, you know, tweets and stuff like that. And it's not something I think most people would expect from a show at times. But like you said, we're all going through stuff right now. But that episode in particular, that that final number just really guts you. Yeah, I know. 
I'm not even sure if I'm, I could put this experience into words yet. Like after the finale, Monday and Tuesday, I spent the whole day crying. And I was like, is it the full moon? <laughs> is it because uh, every Sunday the show was airing, so it still felt like alive, and now I'm grieving the ending of this show, and we still don't know if it's going to get picked up, and we don't know how we're going to be able to make shows like this in the future because of this virus. Is it because of how moved I am by the uh, responses from people who've watched the show? I think it's a combination of all of that. But I have to say, I've never had an experience like this before where I feel so connected to our viewers. I feel like we're having parallel experiences with one another and we've never met. And I guess that's what making art is about. Well, I have to ask. I mean, I don't want this whole conversation to be a Debbie Downer. So let's brighten it up a little bit. What did you have most fun performing? So many of these numbers, it just is like, oh, I wish I could like just take part in that. It looks like a lot of fun. What did you sort of enjoy the most? What number do you think? Spectacular job in which I got to view every single one of these numbers live. So I have so many favorites. But just my own experience being able to do them, I saw Mommy Kissing Santa Claus was so much fun for me because it was so wacky and I felt like I was doing clown work and I, it was so physical and bizarre. <laughs> and just, you know, we people have been talking about how we get to tonally do different things on the show. You know, it's comedy, sometimes farcical comedy, like truly like slipping on banana comedy. And then there's, you know, what we've been talking about for 25 minutes, heavy, <laughs> heavy stuff. It's been a blast for me as an actor to do different things, you know, totally different genres, and then to weave them together to make this human being that we all believe exists. Some of my favorite numbers to watch, Jealous in the finale. I, 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 I'm sorry, Nick Jonas, but I like Jon Stewart's version better. <laughs> and he's such a good dancer. I love his numbers. Happier with India de Beaufort. I hope that's how you say her last name. India, I'm sorry. I don't know how to say your last name. That number was so moving. All my scenes with Peter. I loved uh, It's Your Thing when he's singing to Maggie and I join in and she doesn't know that we're dancing around her. Skylar is an incredible performer. He His numbers... I liked Con Conte Partito when he did the opera after he got laid. Alex Newell's number in the finale. Wow, that kick and that back bend. And also, he's just the best singer in the world. I loved um, Bila Mos. Do you have any that stick out in your head? The How Do I Live one. That one ruined me, but... We're talking about uplifting things. I liked I liked Pressure. That was fun. Oh, my God. Pressure was so fun. Actually, um, that one was the most technically involved where it was like real tight choreography. And I was um, really excited to do that one. But Skylar, when he comes in, it made me laugh really hard. The shot of him and me in the background just going da 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 That was good. How do you see the show's love triangle at this point? I mean... I'm going to get slaughtered by Team Max fans on the internet. They already get mad at me whenever I say anything that doesn't say that I think Zoe and Max should get married and be happily ever after. But for me, I am kind of like, what the heck? Like, what is up with the having to choose anything? She's been honest the entire time. 
and uh, both of them are hot and these are young people <laughs> who are trying to figure things out i i mean i i think obviously long game max is a better fit but i think simon seems even though he's a mess a lot of fun i think that they have strong chemistry i'm almost hoping that a third party is introduced so that we can just have a little break from demanding a, a choice be made. Yes. I mean, I, I think watching now, I'm sort of like, Zoe can pick whoever she wants. I'm not going to care, whatever. But then I think about like, if I was watching this in my teen years, it t- totally brings back like the Joey and Dawson situation where I'm like, oh my God, what's going to happen next? I never watched Dawson's Creek. you got to do it in quarantine. What are you watching right now? I watched all of Deb's. And I was really excited every Thursday, I think it was, when a new episode came out. What else am I watching? I mean, I'm watching the Michael Jordan documentary, The Last Dance. And that really gets me pumped up. It has me truly running around my apartment. I used to play soccer and I am really competitive. And so watching Michael Jordan, who's the best basketball player ever and who knows it and who's just like the most competitive, scary man, like his competition level is so terrifying, but also it gets me so pumped. Were you much of a TV watcher growing up? I wasn't really that much of a TV watcher. Were you? I was. I had like, I had like a shrine to like ER as a fourth grader in my bedroom, for sure. You've had nothing like that? (laughs) No, mm -mm. I did love Jimmy Fallon and I did love like sketches, like comedy sketches, but I'm trying to think if there's any show that I watched. Weirdly, as a teenager, the one show I really watched was Weeds. I watched it with my family and like it was like a little raunchy and like so fun and, you know, all of her shows are so good. Well, speaking of shows, I mean, you actually worked with John on that Netflix thriller, What If? right? Yes. And that starred, for people that don't know, that starred Renee Zellweger as like this wealthy woman who offers your character, who's like a scientist, funding for like a breakthrough that would save millions of kids in exchange for sleeping with her husband. Uh, So yes, I worked with John and I adore him. I have to say, honestly, I look back on that show and I sort of regret taking it as seriously as I did. I was like, okay, no one's going to believe this story unless we believe in Lisa Ruiz Donovan. But then you watch it and you watch Renee, who is like, who takes it seriously. But then there's also like somewhere deep inside some sort of wink. And you're like, oh, that's how you like, that's how you exist in this kind of genre. You know, like it's really a genre piece to me. It's like grand Grecian level tragedy and she is, by the way, obviously we all know, just won an Oscar right after we wrapped. And she is so amazing to work with. I can't really put my finger on it. She's just a magnificent actress and she's so smooth. And every take was different. She's terrifying, by the way. And I desperately wanted to win, like, as the character and, like, Jane's competitive self. I was like, nah, nah. I'm going to, and every time I just felt like she just like stomped me into a pile of dust. (laughs) Well, before we leave, our next guest is going to be Pamela Adlon, who's, you know, the head, the creator, the, the actress of Better Things. What would you like us to ask her? Um, 
what she loves most about Mae Whitman. Man, Mae is like everyone's best friend. She's the best. Yeah, she really is. Well, Jane, with that, thank you so much for taking the time. It was great having you. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for the eighth episode of Can't Stop Watching. I'm your host, Yvonne Villarreal. Our producer is Paige Heimson, and our executive producer is Abby Fentress-Swanson. Our engineer is Mike Heflin, and as always, a special shout out to Elena Howe for booking the guests for this podcast. Come back tomorrow. We're talking to actress Pamela Adlon. It sparked joy because I'm Marie Kondoing like a mother effer. I'm sparking, sparking everywhere. I'm like, what's this pile today? Mmm, let's go through this. If you like Can't Stop Watching, subscribe and leave us a five-star review on Apple. Special thanks to Julia Turner, Matt Brennan, and Clint Shaw. We hope you're enjoying this podcast created by the journalists at the LA Times. Right now, access to facts has never been more important, and the Times is in the business of reporting them. Stay connected and subscribe, because your subscription supports the production of podcasts like this one and our award-winning journalism. Visit latimes.com slash support LA Times to subscribe. Thanks for listening, and see you tomorrow. Tomorrow.